You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! We are back. I'm going to take a minute at the top here to talk about Save Our Stages. Hashtag Save Our Stages. This was recorded on Thursday, August 20th, 2020. Uh, you're listening to this podcast, so I don't have to tell you about the value that independent venues bring to our society. Venues are projected to lose up to $9 billion of revenue if the rest of 2020 remains, quote-unquote, dark with no shows, which seems to be the case. Every fucking band and artist you love came up playing small independent venues all over the country. Uh, it's been breaking our heart every day to hear about places that we came up playing at, closing and uh, pleading for help. Places like Red 7 in Austin, Great Scott in Boston, The Moth Light, The Loft in Michigan uh, are all closed. And it's, it's insane. And where does Grog Shop in Ohio and Metro in Chicago, one of my favorite all-time places on this earth, are struggling. This is where it happens. This is where... You know, out of tour musicians work. This is where our crew and everyone, everyone else's crew works while they're not on tour. This is where you meet your husband. This is where you you realize what you want to do with your life. This is where you meet your friends after the fucking work week, like whatever. This is where it all makes sense, and they're all closing. So um, the National Independent Venue Association is a lobbyist group, I suppose, working on behalf of the nation's independent venues to lobby those blood-sucking shitbags in D.C., half of whom are on vacation. But go to nivassoc.org, that is nivassoc.org, and you can straight up just fill out a form and they will send it for you to lobby your lawmakers. Today's guest is Dave Hawes, a singer-songwriter from Philadelphia, living in California. Dave is an old friend who made a lot of great influential music on his own in a band such as The Loved Ones. It was great talking to him. We had a, a fantastic and wide-ranging conversation about music and life and, and kids and, and everything else. hope you enjoy. Well, you know, if, if all you got to do is squeeze you off the roof and you're gaining equity, you're, yeah, you're ahead Exactly, of the yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> But uh, how yeah. you doing, man? How's the family? It's great, man. We are we're trucking along. Everybody's healthy, and you know, for me, as as I mean, all the obvious things aside, I'm getting to spend all this concentrated time with my kids in a very formative period of their life. You know, they're they're like in terms of attachment and all that stuff. Yeah. This is so terrific to be home and to be amongst them all day long. It's just like I mean, it's hard. Obviously, I have two little 19 month old toddlers yeah. and one, one runs towards the street and one run towards runs towards the ocean you know that's kind of the, <laughs> the, the way it is but but in terms of like their long time or long-term development and all that stuff like i'm able to be here and that that's been like the real silver lining for all this you know because i guess at this point we're we're sort of over the utter heartbreak of of our careers being <laughs> Yeah, upended. You know, like there was there was a while there where I just was like, "This is 
you got to be kidding. What are we going to do? And now we're just doing what we're going to do. You know, we're yeah, sort of exactly. struggling through and you have to find some kind of peace and mental health or, or this thing will drive you totally out of your mind. So yeah, things are good. That's good to hear. That's uh, good to hear. It's interesting you brought up uh, uh, attachment. I just started learning about uh, something called attachment theory. I don't know if that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, so there's a list. Of, uh, there's two books that are on my list. I haven't gotten to yet or read yet, but I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of where that pans out and what that gets into. That's a uh, whole like systems ideas of what happens to you at the very, very beginning of your life it's, can, can carry on. It's crucial. And, you know, I mean, my wife is a, is a psychotherapist, so she – in, in most of these kinds of things, I follow her lead because, you know, I mean, she studied it. And yeah, yeah. So she, I, I've read some stuff and, and just kind of defer to her knowledge in the first place. But it seems crucial. In, in fact, like things like addiction and all that are tied a lot of times to, to breaches and attachment in your early age. So it's wild. I mean, it's if, if all that's true, hopefully we're, we're like giving them really good foundational stuff for later yeah. in life yeah, and save incredible. on therapy. They could save a lot on therapy. Damn, dude. I always say, I bet, if it's cool with you, we could just, uh, I would just roll with this as we start this yeah. interview. It's going great. Uh, yeah, yeah so whatever was, you want to do. Awesome, man. Yeah, I was uh, reading some interviews they did over the last few months. Let's do a couple podcasts. And I find that the story that you have at the beginning of the lockdown, when everybody started to take COVID uh, really seriously, was, was really interesting, really similar to what we ran into when we were kind of uh, stuck in Australia. So it was your birthday. Can you take us back to, to, to what yeah. happened there? It was brutal. It, it, we played New York City. I mean, a lot of the final shows of the tour we were on were big mile markers for me. You know, like stuff that yeah. the loved ones maybe had done and done well at, but solo I hadn't headlined the Bowery Ballroom and we were headlining Union Transfer and everything was like ticking along. You know, we had we had sold out our Chicago show and, and uh, the Horseshoe Tavern in, in Toronto. Like these were big deals to me. And, and so the night before... I just heard Benny refer to it as the Rudy Gobert night when, when the NBA shut down. Oh, okay. So that was March 11th. Yeah. And, and we were playing the Bowery Ballroom. We had sold a good amount of tickets. We were, we were looking like we could sell out if we were like, if we had walk up and stuff. And like, I think two thirds of the people who had bought tickets showed up and we were like, uh oh, and and all the while, as the, as that week wore on, we were questioning our, what are we doing? Are we doing the wrong thing? What's happening? And while we were on stage, the NBA shut down, and it occurred to me, I was like, we're doing the wrong thing. We shouldn't have played here. We shouldn't have played New York City tonight. And so the next morning, we sort of trepidatiously were preparing to go to Boston, and and the Philly the Philly shutdown, I guess, occurred. Yeah, the lockdown. And the lockdown. And, and, that, and that show was our final show. So that would have been a couple of days later. And so I talked to my agent. I was like, let's cancel it all. What's, what's the difference between Philadelphia and Boston yeah. in terms of safety? And he was like, well, we could still do Boston. I'm like, right, but we shouldn't. And, and poor, it happened poor to agents, man. Like they had that, uh, a semblance of that attitude for the next month after that, where they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll book it for August then. It'll, everything will be great by August. And that's when we moved it to. It was August. Months. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and there was still sort of that kind of weird horse trading going on where it was like, well, we could play three nights at Union Transfer to 200 people or four <laughs> nights or whatever it was. And I was like, no, but we, I mean, you know, initially I entertained it, but I was of like, course, yeah. you know, because you want to figure out a way and you're not sure. But I mean, ultimately, obviously, the proof's been in the pudding. But yeah, it was the morning of my birthday. We we're eating at uh, 
Cracker Barrel, the band and the crew. And, and the woman didn't bring me my meal. The, the, the woman that was waiting on us like forgot my order. So it was wow. like, I'm on the phone canceling all these shows on my birthday, watching tons of money fly out the door. And then I was like, hey, did my food ever? And they were like, oh, we forgot you. you know? So it was just like one thing after the other. Just completely uh, manifesting itself on their birthday right there. Oh, it was brutal. It was definitely my least favorite birthday to date. But uh, yeah, that sounds like it sucked, man. And that's yeah, a, that's sucked. brutal for the big life events for you. But that's also like you know, same as us, Boston, Philly, New York. They're the biggest shows. They're the most well-paying yeah. shows for the tour. Like a lot of the other dates are are able to be done because of those shows. And exactly. Like, and I I tend to not run my thing that way. Like I I usually don't like to go on runs where like Philly's paying for Cleveland or sure, sure. you know how like a lot of times that's the way the music business works is oh, like yeah, yeah. we're taking a loss in uh fill in the blank place I usually don't do that but on this tour I did I was like, yeah <laughs> oh, no. American tour we're gonna really show our worth here and and thankfully like the, you know people showed up to a stage it show I did of the following week things are okay like yeah. I'm not I'm certainly not in as bad situ a situation as plenty of other people, but it was pretty gnarly. It was it was definitely a crappy birthday. Yeah, dude, that sounds terrible. And one other part of it, I think you highlighted there, was the fact that it wasn't like some of the other tragedies we could compare it to, or or massive global events like like September 11th uh, attacks happened yeah. within an hour of each other, or like uh, some of the other things that are very instantaneous incidences. Whereas this was a completely novel, you know, double entendre, novel coronavirus. It was also a novel experience for all of us where it happened slowly and everybody's interpretation was up to, I mean, there was just no leadership able to figure out exactly what we were going to do or how we were going to interpret it. And it just kind of slowly happened. It was super weird. Like we thought well, we might know, be looking shows a, a month later and then you know, that's not, not even remotely. Well, the, I, the, the biggest frustration now that we're in August is that, you know, for as much as I'm like sort of politically minded or engaged or whatever, like this is the first election in my lifetime where the outcome of the election will directly affect my day-to-day -day life because if, if if this year is any indication of how a plague is handled if he's re-elected the plague won't suddenly get handled it'll get worse and and i think that'll directly affect whether or not you and i can do the job that we've had for the last decade or two you know like 100 agree. Yeah. So, so you know, like for me, it, making any plans beyond November is a, is probably not. I'm not, I'm not thinking about anything other than, okay, if Trump's reelected, I probably have to get a different job, and if he's not reelected, then we have a shot. You know, we have a shot at like federal leadership coming in and uh, and at least attempting to get a hold on this. I mean, it's possible. You can see in other parts of the world, it's possible to get a hold on the coronavirus. But it hasn't been possible here. I mean, we're we're a total mess. And, totally. and so uh, I re and I kind of hate that. Yeah, it sucks. It fucking blows. It's a it's a total mess in practice. Uh, it's kind it's, you know it's been a total mess for for the for the the species and I, for everybody handling it in general. But we I think and the older that I get, the more I'm realizing that the thing I used to fight against all the time was like braggadocio messaging and shit like that from politicians where they're saying one thing and then doing another. Oh, you know, the Democrats yeah. on one side for me were just as bad as Republicans in a lot of regards sure. uh, when it came to war, when it came to uh, wide sweeping economic totally. policies. But this time is the first time realizing that the messaging that's coming from Trump and the White House is so disorganized and bad that it's causing a lot of chaos everywhere and uh, a complete division and divisiveness and 
and people on one side, on you know what maybe we would call our side, are becoming so anti-Trump that if anything he gets right, can't be right. We're like going to be contrarian against it. And on the other side, clearly, you have people acting like fucking maniacs, putting themselves and other people at at, a dangerous risk. You know, it's it's fucking crazy. Well, you know, I think a lot of it just boils down to, you know, we're in 2020 and there are lots of complicated problems. And lots of people want simple solutions to complicated problems, which you don't get. It's just not the way the world works. (laughs) And... And I think the way that information is shared via Twitter and so on, it's all like sort of sound bites or clickbait and, and so on. So I think it's, it's becoming so, it feels more divisive maybe than it actually is. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I guess I, I hate having to yield that a presidential election will impact my direct life. Like that's the part of it that today I'm particularly frustrated by. I'm just like, you know, living in a sort of countercultural way this was kind of part of the design was like i can go play songs no matter who's who's in charge you know like and now you're sort of coming to terms with like well maybe not maybe not it's so i don't know man i i think like all of that is swirling sort of back here and thankfully i have two little weasels that'll be up from their nap soon that that will push that further into the back like i have to deal with their immediate needs and so that's been um a welcome and necessary distraction you know it's that that part of it's really cool and 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 also i've been focused on recording like i I pretty much have recorded an album's worth of material already at home which is awesome how much are you into like uh, the engineering process on your own beforehand and i'm sure you know you record your own demos and that kind of shit but what is the pandemic done not enough it's well i i think two two things one most of my heroes you can sort of trace the point in their career which is around 40 or whatever where they get super studio minded Uh you know like that happened for tom petty or whatever fill in the blank of people who really got into recording so i think like naturally i've drifted in that into that direction but this has just been sort of a necessity you know i have to do something and and i just was like i can't be that hard to get a vocal sound that's good i have an apollo i have an sm7 yeah and 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 i know people i know plenty of people that are willing to help so i've dug in and started to like do stuff i'm kind of proud of um instead of just the demoing you know where i was like ah whatever as long as we get the song down 100 man i had i spent a a lot of time learning um engineering stuff back in the day and where it's so smart studios and i really enjoyed it and now I'm realizing that, you know, people like you, us, we just re-recorded our last record and we did it. Not everybody had that kind of experience, but we were able to pull it off enough to where we engineered the entire thing. Uh, yeah. And a lot of it is because of the listening part of it. Like you're saying, you could get yes. a good vocal sound. That's because all the, the the notion that there's some kind of magical recipe to follow or equipment that you have to have to get it to sound good, it kind of goes away when you have an ear intricate enough to be able to just listen to what sounds good. And then when it sounds good, you're like, hey, sounds good. You're totally right. The, the other thing that I've found is is that is that it's it's made me tune in more to 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 music in general. Like like when I'm listening to stuff with my kids or whatever, you know, like I like to play Rage Against the Machine with them, for instance. And I'm tuned into the production on that album, which I haven't been for 20 years. I mean, I haven't listened to it in a long time either. But like all of this stuff, when you're doing this day in and day out, and you're like, oh, how did they get that piano sound or whatever? It's really it's really making music more compelling for me and 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 i'm thinking about music totally different with with this sort of newfound 
thirst for engineering knowledge. Yeah, dude. It's like a lot of it is the magic of the of the vocabulary too. You know, like now that you would have certain, you yeah. know, just knowing certain words. Like as your kids are developing and being able to speak, it, you can have different thoughts. Like it almost is like a magic spell. Like you could hear the song differently because you now understand what the way to describe what you're hearing, and then you can find that other place. And I think that's really cool. Uh, yeah, the interpretation that. becomes easier with the people you're working with. You know, like there's there's always that disconnect, or there was for many years for for projects that I was working on where the band would kind of goof around and say like, Ooh, are you going to lower the 60 Hertz? And, you know, <laughs> and because we were like the drunken musicians or, yeah. like, and it's such as it's it, to me now looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, we could have just learned a little bit about EQ and been able to deliver our vision easier and quicker to the engineer who's spent all this time and effort really learning what it is we're saying we do you know what i'm you yeah, know what i mean 100 percent. and then you, you're trying to hey, can you make it sound less like shh, and you, like make some automatopoeia in reality the engineer just has to interpret that it's like i don't even know what this guy's talking about like yeah i need it to be greener it's yeah, like you know, okay what the greener. fuck is that <laughs> yeah, of course it, I found these things to be, a lot of them are frustrating, I guess, because like, I guess there's just like this punk rock, this dismissive punk rock thing that, that, that has crept in over the years. And so now, for instance, like, you know, like I rush, I'm sure we all do. You go in and you're looking at your guitar track and you're like, oh, I'm ahead, I'm ahead, I'm ahead. And, it, and it's, oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of looking back at your your musical journey and going like well i'm ahead because i've always been ahead uh of, of the beat because we're punk you know and and, yeah. and those those things are so difficult to unlearn over time and it's it's not it's it's similar in the engineering world where you're like oh i i really do care about this and i really want to uh understand it and and it's not cool to be like I don't even know what any of this stuff does you know like, it's like, yeah it's sounds like a, uh, uh, there's like a a a nonchalant uh, attitude that might work like when you're trying to uh, find a girlfriend or a boyfriend in late adolescence by right? having that shit but in real right, life right. <laughs> doesn't translate at all you can only be so cool uh, yeah. when you're just fucking the guitar line up and it's two o'clock in the morning yeah yeah i wonder actually now that i've been doing this so much um it, like how interested i'm going to be in tracking guitars and vocals in a studio you know, for like for the next album, like, yeah. because you, you hit sort of a comfort zone where you're like, okay, well, I don't mind that I've punched this 30 times, but man, I bet the engineer would, you know? Yeah, they wouldn't be stoked. So, so, so you sort of wonder moving forward if like, well, maybe I'll do the guitars separate. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I guess all bets are, are off in terms of what, what's next, but it's been really fun and really exciting and kind of freeing. To, to, to then like send these sketches and things to to the people that I've asked for help, you know? Mm -hmm. And have them be like, hey man, you got that sounding pretty good. I'm like, okay, sweet, you know? It's, it's yeah. been a, a nice, you can sort of trace your, your progress. Totally, how does it affect the actual composition that you're making? And uh, what I mean by that is, so we always used to have a little bit of an open notion of like, okay, well this sounds like this now, but I know that once we get to the studio, it's gonna sound different or I'll have to play it slightly different, but I'm not gonna worry about it now because I know that that's eventually gonna happen. Whereas mm -hmm. opposed to uh, kind of writing now and, and spending more time focused on the, the, the bits and bobs or whatever of it, you can kind of see, you'd be more uh, focused and not have as much of like an open area that could be fixed later, you know what I mean? It's like a... Yeah, 
I, I think at the end of the day, like for me, you, there's still the keystones, you know, like I'll always come back to like, does this thing work? Like if I play this on an acoustic guitar on FaceTime for Tim, my brother, and he's into it, cool. And then when you start to add some of these new, you know, oh, tape loops or, or reverse piano hits or, you know, whatever, whatever like yeah. little new thing I'm learning and like, oh, I can do that now. If that aids the song, great. But I still kind of try to keep that, th those like fundamentals at, at, the, at the beating heart of it. You know, like, do you have Love a it. good song? Is the chorus something people can sing? Because in that way, like I'm kind of basic, you know, like I just I, like so I like songs to be sung and yeah, I love studio trickery and all that stuff. But but we know plenty of bands that get lost in that sauce that that where you're like, oh, but you didn't write any songs. It's cool that you showed up and got all these, you know, all the window dressing right. But yeah, totally. It's a good, nothing there's in the a romantic notion sometimes with that where it's like, oh, yeah, the accident that I made while I was turning one of the knobs on the Ankroplex became the most memorable part of the song it's not necessarily what we're you know going for as like singer songwriter situations even at the rock and roll phase you know it's not like a right right i still think that at the end of the day i mean and the proofs in, in the pudding in terms of like you know you look at john prine or 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 or, or patty griffin and, and whoever and and it's like well no the song is you look at rancid you know like Oh, yeah. any of those bands you're like well no there's a song and the production is is how you sort of dress that that um song up but and it can be super interesting yeah but, you know, like i just listened to life won't wait again for the first time in like a year or two oh, last man. week and i forget how great of an album that is and how uh, out there and interesting all the way that they recorded everything was it's fucking so sick it's so good and for whatever reason i think because they were riding so high off the previous album you know so successful it wasn't thought of as a success yeah you know maybe because it sold less or whatever i, I remember hearing that through the grapevine but sure, it I, makes think sense. I don't think they did as big of a jump from, you know, before Outcome the Wolves as they did into Life on Wayne that year. Probably just kind of like stasis or whatever. So you might interpret it that way, but it's fucking yeah. so good. Oh my God. Just as like as a complete, you know, statement or whatever, like I, it might be better than Outcome the Wolves. I mean, maybe not song wise, but yeah, it is tremendous, man. Life Won't Wait is, is such a great album. Yeah, dude, amazing. So I want to jump back a little bit. You mentioned before talking about taking care of the twins. And in one thing that keeps coming up when I'm talking to my friends and family while everyone's trying to maintain a kind of, you know, positive mental outlook or, or good mental health during this is that everybody's ringing on one of the main things is being there for someone else or having to have someone else rely on you. And yeah, uh, yeah I always felt that that was a, being accountable is always like a great way to kind of get out of that kind of funk, especially when you're, you know, your job evaporates similar to us that it happened. Yeah, it, it, it creates a usefulness that that sort of felt like it left the building for a minute there. <laughs> and, and and it was painful, you know, to, to because here's the crazy thing about parenting is like, you're no, you never feel like you're good at it, even even if you've read stuff. And the fact of the matter is, it's frustrating. It's tedious. There are parts of it that are super, I mean, it's terrifying. And so suddenly, like, I've been thrust into a situation where I don't feel that confident. And, and I used to, you know, for, for 2019, that was true, too, because they were, they were born at the beginning of 2019. But I could go away and feel good about the work I was doing. I, I knew somewhere, well, I know how to do this. You know, I know how to put on a show and I know how to sing or whatever. And so I could come back to, to the parenting role and be like, okay, well, I, I'm not totally adrift.
Whereas like without that, that outlet and without being able to like do a job where you're also earning money and so on, a lot of days can feel like, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And am I wrecking these kids? Are they, you know, so it can, it can be really hard to, to get all that straight. But, you know, like I said, we're a therapy family and we, we, all that stuff is taken really seriously. And, and so hopefully, you know, you, you strike enough of a balance and, and you are useful to these, these very innocent and dependent beings. And, and that sort of gives you your, your, your daily, I guess, rudder, you know, like yeah, at least yeah. for me. So sure. are you thinking about having kids? Is that yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, definitely. Cool. We, my siblings all have kids and I grew up in a family where on one side there's like 27 yeah. cousins, the other side there's like 32 cousins. So we're just always around kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely want to uh, start a family and we're engaged now. So we're thinking about doing that some, sometimes. Oh, soon. awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Fun. And it's funny yeah. to think that you, people have been raising kids since the beginning of people, but it still just seems like such a, a confusing, daunting, don't necessarily know what's going on in the situation. I remember where I was with my sister with her first son. She has three sons now. Uh, with mm-hmm. her first son, he was like, I don't know, maybe six months old. And he tripped yeah. uh, and he hit his face on the wall and he started bleeding out of his mouth. And we were like, I was like, well, what do you do when this happens? She's like, I don't know. It never happened before. So we're just going to stand there trying to figure out what to do. The kid's <laughs> blood's coming out of his mouth. And of course, you Googled it. But I was thinking about, you know, just 10 years before that or 15 years before that, you just kind of wing it, I guess, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's so a lot a of it is winging it. Yeah, it like- you think the species would have it together. It's weird. I've had the same. I, I, I guess I've had the opposite thought at different points. On one hand, you can't believe the species has even survived. Yeah, baby, it's so useless. Imagine being in the woods and having this completely, utterly useless being that can't even move. You know, like a, oh my a baby giraffe comes out, it's running around and shit. Human baby can't do anything for like years. Right, right. And then on the other hand, I've had the thought where it's like, we really haven't gotten it together. Yeah, you know, like this has been going on for a long time. <laughs> we still are like pretty much at a loss. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, we're Googling things. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's been great though, man. Like it's, I, I'm psyched to hear that you're, that you're looking forward to that. Cause it, it has been, you know, the greatest thing. It's, it just, it, it's the only way I could conceive of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, well, I might have to do something else because I've been so focused on sure. being like a songwriter or being a touring person or whatever. And when, when that dependency comes like two little beings that you just love with all your, all your um, heart, you're like, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. I'll dig a ditch if, if you need me to. Like, and I think that that humbling that comes with, with children has been, has been great for me. Yeah, that's so inspiring. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I got to ask you, so your dude grew up in, in Philly. What's it, how's it been to move to the West Coast? Did it's you know, been good. In- Coast, there's some hilarious stigma that goes along with like people from the West Coast or what it would be like to live there. But I just, now, as they you know, as you go there millions of times, you meet people, you realize a lot of those things aren't true. But what was it like to, to go over? Like, how was it just the the weather, being by the beach, the attitude? Well, like, for me, it was as much a culture shock as if I would have moved to England, um, <laughs> because you know, in, in in as many ways, you're you're leaving what you know. Yes, everyone speaks English, but culturally, California, especially Santa Barbara is as different from Philadelphia as you can, as you can find in an English speaking place, you know, I believe that. Yeah. Uh, maybe new Orleans. I don't know, but, but you know, the weather's great. The beach is great. 
there's so many wonderful people here. All that's true, but but it's been a struggle at points because, I mean, like many East Coasters, deeply tied to my my people. You know, I have the same best friends, and and I've I have three sisters and my little brother, and they're like my, you know, they're they're my main social group along with these couple best buddies, you know? And so to be that far away, especially when a pandemic like this comes in and just, I can't go see them has been, has been rough. You know, the economic difference I think is hard for me to grasp. You know, like we live in a place where we can't afford to buy a home and those home ownership kind of pressures as a, as a working class person, like you gotta buy a home. Oh yes. you know, are really deep seated in me. I, I owned two homes back in the Philadelphia area before I got a divorce and, and came out here and was happy to leave it all behind then. You know, I was like, oh, I don't want this headache. I don't want to deal with the roof. I don't want to squeegee anything off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that was sort of because of, you know, the failing situation I was in. But now that I'm out here and happily married and, and have a family, like that stuff does pull you know, the like wanting to have our own space and, and wanting to have my own studio that I don't, I won't have to move all this stuff, you know? Sure. Yeah. And just the price point out here is like, everything is so expensive. Yeah, millions of dollars to buy a modest family home. Kind of oh, our house is, is, it's great. I mean, there's plenty of space, but it would cost 1.2 million probably <laughs> to Jesus buy. Christ. And then it would be knocked over and, and, a, and it would be built in a sort of, mid-century modern way or whatever to keep up and then it would be worth three million or whatever so it's like yeah we can we can rent here even that's getting you know questionable yeah but so some of those things have, have weighed on me more than they i thought they would but i guess i didn't think i'd be here for very long i didn't i sort of didn't bet on falling back in love and and starting a family and all that stuff so yeah, but I do like it. Don't get me wrong. Like, it, it's California is my favorite state as a, as sort of a fan, but as a as a <laughs> you know, like I'm a fan of it. But in terms of like where I feel the most comfortable, I don't know. I'm I'm just getting comfortable now. You know, like and it's been. I guess we we signed a lease here in 2013, so it's been a while. Yeah. Damn. Totally. We had uh. So you had brought up some parallels. I remember about 2008 to now and kind of a little bit of the situation that had happened then where the housing crisis had started it changed the way that venues and shows were done at least for us so we, we moved to philadelphia in, two, in the summer of 2008 or 2007. no kidding okay yeah, right. yeah. That, that so makes sense right when the housing crisis hit that like september was you know i mean there was like six or seven of us in one small row home and that made sense it was the only thing we could afford but then it was really the only thing that anybody could afford. And uh, the kind of ways that having shows had changed. You know, they were doing generator shows and shit, but there's a lot of house shows uh, and yeah. non-traditional shows. And I wonder if that's going to repeat itself now that um, some of the independent venues aren't going to be able to be. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen next year. But if it does continue along the economic path that we're going right now with all this shrinkage and, and lack of, of, you know, places to play or people will go and spend money at bars, I wonder if the shows are going to move that direction again. Well, you know, to some degree, that was a big pivot. 2009, 10, I guess, for me, was like the come to Jesus moment on on all that. We were in a band, you know, the loved ones were like a signed band. You know, we had put out two records, we had done the big support tours, we, we had a decent enough headlining following. And it seemed like, you know, 
I mean, I actually think with another record or two, we probably would, would have been able to make a modest living off of the band, like looking back now. But when that hit and, and the havoc that that wreaked on both of my businesses, because I owned a contracting business with a partner in Philly, and that sort of subsidized my ability to start a band when I was 27, you yeah. know, to start a touring band. But when, when those two things got hit by that same wrecking ball, which was the financial crisis, I realized like I kind of have to go solo if I want to play music and make any money you know and the other thing was like there was no carpentry work my 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 business dried up and and you know you could make two or three hundred bucks a day as a decent carpenter pre the crash and after that like the best carpenters were making that you know the four and five hundred dollar a day guys were like i'll work for 200 i just gotta feed my family yeah i mean no one was doing anything to their house nobody had any money Uh, well that was the other thing yeah there was no more money to make repairs or 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 upgrades and such so i got just an offer to go play acoustic it through canada and it was about the same money it was like oh you can make 300 bucks a show or 200 bucks and i was like well uh, plus merch, I'll probably still be ahead. I'll certainly be ahead if I'm going to be home sitting on my ass. Yeah. And and I'll definitely be ahead even if I got some modest carpentry work. There's nothing to do. So, and that sort of prompted it. I didn't really want to go solo. And, and still, to some degree, don't feel that. It's like not the most compelling path. I love bands and love collaboration. And, but that that model worked and i sort of had this weird like well every show's got to have some profit like yeah. i was saying earlier you know like i'm like well i have to at least not lose money on every single show yeah of course. and if that means if that means i sleep in the car or if that means i don't get a hotel you know whatever fill in the blank ways you can sort of expand and contract how oh, much yeah. money you're spending and that to this day still has an impact so thankfully i think even if everything goes to shit tim and i can show up and play to 50 people that are gathered who each spend 20 bucks in someone's yard and we'll walk out of there with a decent living, you know, like if that becomes the model and and you guys could probably do the same thing, despite being sort of like a big rock band. Now You, you guys, because you have songs and you have the interest in playing them in the most stripped down way. And, and so I think in that sense, like if live music, limps back into place like i'll be able to do it in some capacity just knowing that i have like there's plenty of times when we've played in people's backyards or yeah we actually get uh over the years have been asked to do that many times we've done some of them and i think that guys like you and chuck reagan and the likes really laid that a groundwork for that to exist and created like a, a, a a watch for that you know like it really became situations where at least going to see you know the, the revival tour kind of stuff really mm-hmm. kind of set a vibe and here and in Europe as well, where people really wanted to see that, you know, don't necessarily want to get as sweaty or get as crazy or as loud. You don't need the infrastructure in place to have a giant loud rock band where you can just have this kind of moment with the acoustic guitars and get a little bit more intimate, visceral. Yeah, intimate with yeah. the stories and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah really we cool. had a we had a wonderful show. We got to open Gaslight Anthem's last run of. Uh, gigs on 59 sound a couple years ago and we got to play two nights at the hammersmith apollo i guess i think it was that yeah yeah it's it's always changing names but it's basically where the beatles filmed hard day's night so i mean it was massive amazing and then we had a day off and on that day off we played in someone's garden you know for like 100 people or whatever 
And it was more profitable and as memorable as playing the Hammersmith, you know, because it was like, it was exactly what, it was like the complete opposite. And I was really grateful that we got to do both. You know, I was like, this is so cool because on one hand, you're able to put on the rock show and, and you know, sort of live out your Eddie Van Halen fantasy. And then on the <laughs> other hand, you're like delivering the music directly to people with no PA, you know, it's like, it, there's something really cool about that. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm less worried in that sense, but yeah, I don't know, man. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's, it's just, like I said, I think that the, hopefully there's somewhat of a reset button in January when new leadership takes office. Let's hope we get that far. And then we'll just sort of see what happens. I mean, thankfully for, for your band, for me, for plenty of our pals, like we have a European audience that hopefully we can go play to. Yeah. God, I hope so. That might be happened there before uh, yeah. this year, their, their leadership. And also they had the virus first. So, I mean, at this point, who knows? I guess the only way that the virus is going to go away is if there's a, a perfect cure or we reach a herd immunity, whether that's from a vaccine or because it just tears through the entire species. But yeah, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully that works out there. You know, I know some people that are doing some uh, drive-in shows, not necessarily the most conducive to our kind of music and also yeah. our kind of fans. I don't know if they'll be into being uh, safely distanced from each other. And also, I think nobody wants to be the band that does it first uh, and have an issue and be known as that band forever. You know, that killed fucking 10 people or some <laughs> shit like that. What, what's, so is your, are you guys sort of, um, it, just not that interested. I'm not that interested in a drive-in show, frankly. Like I'll just say it. I just sure. like it keeps coming up, and I'm like, eh. I, I, I would much rather play a much smaller and intimate show, like we were just discussing, than like have everyone feel. I, I don't know. Like play to a bunch of cars. I, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm way more into going to one than I am to play one. I really want to go to one uh, to oh, be yeah. able to be like. Oh, I did. I went to a concert during the, the, the pandemic and I, this is my experience. I can tell it to my grandkids. Whatever. And I can just see how fucking weird it is. Uh, yeah, but as far as playing one point. goes, yeah, playing one is not something that we're really interested in besides the fact that it could, well, a lot of people would have a good time and yeah. could make a bunch of money from it. And, uh, but the, us like wanting to play one is not, is not there right now. Bands that are doing it. So, and and yeah. that sounds like it could be kind of fun, but yeah. Yeah. You know what it probably would be like, you know, when you're shooting a video and you're sort of pretending that you're rocking out to your song, I bet it would be a similar vibe where you're like, all right, I'm going to really mean it, even though I don't get the immediate energy from the crowd. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like in terms of performing, like I, mean, I love performing anyway, but there is a thing where it's, if you, when you're performing to no one or to a car. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, half of what our performance is, is like entirely like our shtick is the fact that there's an audience there. It's like an inverse yes. flip on itself. There's no like, we don't have any theatrical part of our right. band running the psychedelics. Our whole thing is that you're with us and everybody can kind of go crazy and do what they want. And that just completely cuts. I don't know if I dance around on stage while uh, it's coming through your radio inside your car. You know, I mean, that sounds kind of funny, bizarre, maybe romantic in its own right, but it's not something that I'm super stoked about. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I saw the Dropkick Murphys do it and only because I know them did I think, oh, wow, that's peculiar. Like, yeah. But when I, was, when I had tuned out that I knew them and just was watching it and enjoying it, I was like, this is great. Why would you feel weird doing this? Like, they look into it and they're having a great time and it's super uh, well shot and so on. And, and like I said, only when I 
thought, oh, I wonder how Al's feeling right now with no crowd there. Did it, did it sort of like break down that wall? Sure. So I don't know. It's probably mostly weird for the band, less weird for the people at home. People at home are probably fired or people in the car. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, like, yeah. That's like, a, the so thing sweet. that keeps me going on is that if everybody in the car is really wants to be there and hasn't had the same pressure release valves that they've had for months, uh, then that's overall positive things by how I yeah. feel about it. But it's still just like, you know, it's fucking weird. And you never know what the, the deal is. I mean, like if you're outside, you're told that if you put these measures in place, that it's safe. I mean, why wouldn't I believe people studied this shit for that long? But at the same time, like, I have no idea. You know, I just, it's yes. difficult. You don't want to be in a position of uh, uh, authority in that sense where you're kind of responsible for everybody there. I know that that is a big thing. It's like, do, do you want to use your little bit of power for good or for evil? You always want to do it for good. And, and yeah. so any any of that line where, where it's blurred for your own selfishness or your own needs or whatever, you're like, ah, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I need to make some money, but I really don't want anyone to get like one of the great yeah. things about uh, what what we have been blessed to do is that it does less harm did so many other careers <laughs> exactly. you know it helps and, yeah. and and so to be in a position where you could potentially harm is like uh, I'm, not, I'm just i would rather be on the safer side of that totally and i think it's a lot harder for younger people to see you know specifically the kids in college graduating stuff but this might be you know the weird year where we couldn't do anything that year like uh college football yeah. is canceled that year you know it's like what but the whole thing where with the Eagles mixed with the Steelers one year during World War II, that was like the, the happy the time. The Eagles, yeah. So that's <laughs> like, uh, you know, that's this year for us. It's just a weird, bizarre thing that we're going to have to have to roll with, you know. I mean, we've gotten let's over much it's... worse diseases in the history of all this. So. Yeah, let's hope it's just this year, you know. that That's that's the big, <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, if with any real leadership, it couldn't, it maybe wouldn't have been a full year. But sure. again, I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't go too much further because we're all going to have to figure something out if it does, you know, something different. Yeah. So it's, it's wild. How the ascendage or sorry, stage of shows got for you? How's like playing remote? They went well. I actually, I actually just agreed to do two more shows like that at a venue where there's no one in the venue. And, Very um, cool. Yeah. It's going to be up in San Francisco and one of them is solo and the other one is like me and another singer songwriter that everyone likes or everyone that we know likes. So I'm going to try to do those two things. One, I think in September and one in November. They're cool. Thankfully people came and I, I mean, if I had also done them prior, you know, in downtime in, yeah, in other yeah. years, I'd like tried them out and, and they were successful and, and fun. Again, you do feel like, Hey, people are getting something out of this, even though I don't necessarily get what I'm used to getting out of mm -hmm. a, a performance. And it forces you to kind of think about how you play your guitar and how you sing. And are, are these in the right key? You yeah, know, you're like, shifting the focus from how to, there's not as much of like, how does this vibe in the room and more so like, well, they're really going to hear it now. So you gotta. Yeah. Gotta so you have up. to, you have to get kind of good and, and you have to vary it. At least for me, like I like I like that extra pressure of having to improve because oh, you're yeah. in a new uncomfortable situation. So I liked them and I guess like I did two of them and then wanted to kind of give it a rest for, for a couple of reasons. One, I get stressed with them, the kids, the kids is another reason. And then another thing was like, it just occurred to me that so many people put out albums and can't tour on them. Yeah. And if I'm in the way, like, I don't, I don't, I felt kind of guilty, you know, like, 
Like I was, I had enough to get by and, and was like, I'm just going to chill and give it some time because, you know, like our buddy, Brian Fallon put out a record the di- the last day of, of when we came home and couldn't play any shows on it, you know? Yeah, like, that sucks so much. It sucks so bad. The Lawrence Arms, Jason yeah. Isbell, like so many people put out really cool records this year and couldn't tour on them. So there was part of me that was like, I don't necessarily need to clog up every Friday night trying to scratch out my extra money or, you know, like. 100%. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was just sort of my weird guilt or whatever so i tightened the belt and i also wanted to get focused on like we said you know recording and 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 that stuff like i i definitely in the pandemic have not had downtime you know with with the kids and and all of the other little ambitions there's like no downtime so it's been that's been an interesting facet for for me as well for us over here too there's been like a enough downtime to the point where that that night just finished the entire sopranos that we watched in like we did too yeah nice hell yeah Glad to hear. We just finished the last episode, I think, two nights ago. So yeah. you got the blues. You got the post-soprano blues. Yeah, I got the post-soprano blues. I think I'm going to take the TV and give it a little break for a little bit because we ended up watching like an episode or two a day for a run there towards the end. Uh-huh. Got a little heavy and then realized how like not good watching the Sopranos baby feel. <laughs> oh, really? See, yeah. I loved it. I just oh, was so taken with the, the, on the on the third or fourth watch it is now that I'm whatever age I am, 42, I've seen it maybe three or four times all the way through, yeah. and, but it's been years, and I was just so bowled over by the amount of humor that's in that show. Dude, oh, my Same God. exact, I, I did not realize how fucking funny that show was the first time I watched it. It's probably my third watch as well. Uh, <laughs> as a young, when I was young, when it was first, when I first was exposed to it, like, I remember seeing it every Sunday here and there when it was coming out. Yeah. Not, I did not remember how hilarious that show was. God the damn. intervention with, with Christopher Moltisanti is one of the funniest bits of television I've ever seen. Oh, and by the way, I got a good story. So I guess Michael Imperioli lives in Santa Barbara. Oh, no shit. That's the guy who plays Christopher. Christopher, right? Yeah. right? So I'm in the Trader Joe's some months ago. This is before <laughs> we, we, I think it must have been right as COVID kicked in, but Tasha and I hadn't started to watch Sopranos. So I'm walking around and I'm going like, ah, I know this guy. This guy's from Philly. How, how do I know this guy? And I'm assuming he's like a guy we're construction with. or Like this yeah. always happens to me. I did this with Russell Brand one time. I was at a Morrissey <laughs> show in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, I know that guy. That's <laughs> amazing. That guy. Yeah. And, and so I'm looking at him and I'm like, and he's kind of looking at me like, I'm like, oh yeah, maybe he knows me too. And it occurred to me after a few aisles of this in Trader Joe's that I was like, oh no, that's Christopher from Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's fucking was, hilarious. It was. I haven't seen him since we rewatched because I think I probably like nerd out on him more that because his performance in that show was oh my god. Yeah, it was, it was so, so good. great. That was another yeah. thing I remembered. I think of AJ a lot differently watching it this time. Uh, Me too. As a character and the actor who played him was so uh, top notch and good. Like, yeah. What? No fucking ZD. That's yeah. such a great. <laughs> Yeah. You know who else was was a new revelation to me was Janice. I could not stand Janice when I was younger watching it. Yeah. And now I kind of had a heart for her because there's so much Livia that she exactly. just, she just ended up that was the card she got dealt. Yeah, you're trying to see how much of it is her choice and how much of it is the way that she was just molded, you know. Yeah, it's oh my god, what a masterwork of 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 like that art form. And the crazy thing too is like, that was the first of its kind in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
and not many shows have even come close since. No, not definitely not. It's like the one that really kind of kicked off uh, a lot of those other long form series. I think it kind of showed that people have a really, a really long uh, attention span you know, as compared to what they would think before about TV, where it was kind of just like, you know, yep. writing it, uh, writing it just in the moment, you know, like not having a force of being like, all right, well, we'll figure out next season later. But Sopranos was like, you know, a, a, an epic of the story. Well, I'm thankful we watched Fleabag after because that was another instance where the writer said, this is the end. And that's, the, that's the, I think that's always been for me, like the hardest thing with, with TV is, you know, any good story has an end, which means you have to uh, commit to saying like, this is over, meaning the money train's over, the success train's over. And that is like the mark of a true creative, you know, like, and we yeah. don't really have that problem as, as in our art, we can just keep writing songs. And, exactly. Yeah. As long as each song ends, we're fine. But in, in an instance with Sopranos or Breaking Bad or whatever, or The Wire, like it's always, or Fleabag, it's so cool when they go like, it's over. We're not gonna drag this out. We're not gonna like squeeze the commercial money train. We told our story. Like that to me, if a show ends, you know, like it, it'll get my attention. Yeah, I really respect the show. That's pretty awesome. And like mimics the form before, which would be books and that existed forever and continue to exist. Like a book can't be stretched that way. Just got it end. You know, let's close, close the cover, it's done. Story's right. over. Right. Well, another part about uh, noticing on this rewatch of Sopranos I didn't notice before is how close it flirts with like Jersey rock culture, you know, like where I yes. can band people and shit. Like where's Christopher is producing the, the band's <laughs> demo and he goes in and beats the shit out of the with the guitar and gives him some meth and is like, you finished tonight. And Loved just like, uh, yeah, did all those like clubs that existed and those kind of characters that you see in the background, right? Even at the diner in the last scene, there's that like rocker dude. And you're like, oh yeah, this is totally New Jersey. Yes. I was describing that to Natasha when, 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 when Adriana gets her club and, you know, we were kind of giggling at the various bands that would play or the goings on there. Yeah. And I was like, I told Natasha, I was like, listen, before the Asbury lanes and before like any of us became you know, had enough of an audience to maybe play the pony or something like that. That's where we would play. We would play these kinds of places that were totally incongruent with our vibe. You know, oh, yeah, like totally. if you were, if you were going into New Jersey to play a gig, it kind of looked more like that than <laughs> what we now think, you know, now we've had like 20 years of the souls kind of reimagining the Jersey shore punk rock scene. Yeah. But it used to kind of look like that when, when my earlier bands would, would go play Jersey. Oh, yeah. When we, in high school, we went and played, we played different venues on Bloomfield Avenue in North Jersey just that, because they would yes. have us. They'd be like, all right, well, yeah, you're a band from Northeastern Pennsylvania. You're all like, you know, 17. And you play Scott. Cool. You can play this show, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you'd show up and it would just be like weirdly competitive older rocker guys <laughs> and like... Just any yeah. mismatched genre of whatever. Dudes, there was like Slipknot was big at the time. So you'd have a couple guys like putting on makeup at backstage and like getting into like the, the crazy, like, I don't know, not pseudo goth new metal shit. Totally. Yeah. The oversharing sound guy loader who's <laughs> like, you know, had been out with uh, Thin Lizzy or whatever and, and you had to know it within the first three seconds of being there, you know, that kind exactly. of shit. Yeah, they, it's they would wild. do that thing that like dudes in Brooklyn would do back in the day, where they like would dude would hand you his demo and not take it back until you bought it. They would do that with like the recording <laughs> of your set. They would record your set and be like, "Yeah, record your set," and you're holding it. And they're like, "Yeah, okay, fifty bucks." And you're like, "What the fuck?" That, you know, it's, it's so funny you bring that up because the other day I was thinking, um, man, it would be great to be putting out some live recordings on Bandcamp or whatever during this time. 
And I actually had a regret of all the times that a sound guy would go, hey, you want, you want a board recording? It's only 300 bucks. And I always was like, nah, I'm good. Because <laughs> um, I always just thought I was getting hosed. And exactly. now I'm like, man, I kind of wish in the instances where there was like, you know, Pro Tools file of it all, or, you know, like where they had real yeah. rigs. I was like, I should have said yes, because there could have been some salvageable thing that we could be using right now. But yeah, uh, okay. even some of the lineups of those shows, you just put that up for, you know, whatever, a band yeah. charity or something. And like this happened in 2008. Holy shit. I know. I know. It seems more and more like a, an anomaly. So, yeah, I, I, I it's, it's funny. Those do you want something off the board? Things are, are suddenly feeling more valuable than than they used to. Totally. Uh, and that and it is funny how you mentioned not any downtime during the pandemic a lot of some of the interviews and shit that we've done where people are talking about how they can't wait for all the music that's going to come out and all that kind of shit and i feel like some musician situations there's not gonna be that much new music there's just going to be a lot more bakers gardeners and uh, people that are really just kind of taking this time to refigure out exactly what the hell's going on yeah i don't i so i have two ep when when is this going to air i was gonna put out tomorrow Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll keep more of a limited amount of, like, we're obviously you got to dole out the information sure. uh, strategically, but I, I'm putting out music in October. Awesome. And, and I'm super excited about it. Tim and I recorded it remotely and, and got some other friends involved and it's going to be really cool. It's a cool idea. So, but, but, but in terms of, of writing like a full new album, I, I'm working on it. Tim and I are, or writing and so on but i'm trepidatious you know i'm kind of like whoa well, i'm careful to not include too much about any pandemic related stuff and i'm i'm careful to consider like putting out something that we couldn't tour on you know like all those things are suddenly impeding some of like the 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 ability to think about a full album you yeah. know and that's so and i'm not sure if that's is that true for you too Absolutely. Yeah. There, and there's also something that you'd mentioned before that it swings into, you're talking about taking up like uh, the digital space and, sh and the motivations for doing it and like people's records are coming out for us. It's also, well, we're going to put, we want to write and record a record. Obviously that's also the main way besides touring that we can make any money and continue to like have a job. So like we want to rush, write a record and slam it out so that we can get paid. Like, I don't know if we're going to put, I mean, I know we're probably not going to put out the best record if that's the case. So. But that's trying right. to figure out that's what the right. motivations are for getting everything done and taking the time. And yeah, do you want it to be the pandemic record where every song is like a thinly veiled allegory for being stuck inside somewhere? In fact, I think that this is the case for you and case for us, our last records did that. That's <laughs> uh, right. A weirdly, yeah, uh, uh, we were we were clairvoyant. Plan. Yeah, we had it. <laughs> yeah, I thought coming. that too. And I think the way you guys handled putting out the acoustic versions was brilliant. And, and it was similar to me to what Taylor Swift did, which I also thought was brilliant. It was like, you know, for her, the stakes are much higher in terms of like, well, I can't play stadiums and I yeah. won't be able to play them. Maybe that's for like hundreds of people out of a job too, you know, at that level. Oh yeah. Right. So for her to go like, well, I'm going to make an album that wouldn't play in stadiums or wouldn't play as well in stadiums. And I'm going to like flex this other creative muscle. That's the kind of, that's the kind of music that Tim and I have been working on. It's stuff that yeah. we wouldn't have toured on anyway, but it's like those wild ideas you have where like, boy, if I had the time, I'd record this. And yeah, so dude. that's so great I, to hear. It's really cool. And, and, and it, I like that you guys did a complete 
is it every song from the record or yeah we did the whole record uh oh, the whole mostly, record. Okay. Yeah, it's mostly acoustic centric but there's some electronic elements and some other stuff that we like you're saying only would just never do uh but we recorded it remotely and used different software and new instruments yep. and we're like all right well okay we're gonna do it now i'm excited about that because one thing i've always wanted to do like i like to make multiple versions of of any song you know, I like I like to perform it acoustically or with a piano or whatever, and then also like a rock version. And I wonder now, you know, how it does feel like on the negative side of it, like Spotify needs grist for the mill all the time. Like you, yeah. they want constant content and all this stuff. That's one way to, to a creative way that I'm excited about a, a way to like solve that problem is to have multiple versions of the same song that come out because I do think that I mean, how many times have we heard a song reinterpreted or reimagined and, and felt closer to that newer version, you know? And how many times have we fucked up, you know? Like, where you go, yeah. like, we didn't record that thing the right way. Oh, my God. Um, we have a whole album's like that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so this is, I'm, again, I'm trying to find these silver linings and go like, well, maybe moving forward, you know, when I put out the next full rock album or whatever, if it's that, there's more room to put out all the acoustic versions and, and be totally have that be totally the norm instead of yeah. like what are you trying to pull on me here you know like i think people might have a new openness and and those new patterns could be good for all of us you know oh like, yeah i really hope so i think there's two parts of that one of them is the way it's released so you have all these different versions and it kind of comes out like trickled instead of an album yep. at once because normally we do the album at once because it's a you know to us a big beautiful piece of artwork that is a, a snapshot of all those things we're doing in that time what we wanted to write and it's also something that we use to tour on so if you're going to tour on it you have like right. 12 songs it's like a you know like how a play would be or like a comedian does it or whatever it's like a whole block of shit that's uh, right and if we're not touring we could just release it when you could release a song tomorrow and it would have you know similar effects as it would to release part of a whole album yeah it's it's again it's it's good to find the positive parts of this because it's not that's not my default my, my initial yeah. thing is more like oh my god we're fucked you know so i've been trying to work <laughs> to work at it and be like okay well what's good about this and what can be useful you know to take away from this instead of just panic and sadness because you know it is there is an element of that you know in, in a year like this yeah. i think there's a lot of pressure to be like all right well and I'm, I'm not sure if you operate this way i would imagine so in like a I'll call it an alpha type personality situation but it's like I have this time off, so I have to do something. And if I don't, I fail. Like I have to use every minute of this entire thing. I'm stuck in my house, so that means I have to read, you know, 50 books, and I have to learn this software and, or write this many songs or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case, but it's also I think you can't do nothing. Uh, that's a it would be a really big waste to look back at this time and be like, totally. No, I'm with you, man. I, but and I think in the in the end, like you got to find whatever balance works. You know, on a day by day, week by week basis because that pressure is it's another one of those like home ownership pressures you know it's just built into you from such a young age when you know coming from where we come from you know sort of working class you got to get one rung up more rung up the ladder you know which 100%. we know like we know is a lie we know that's a whole rigged system but but yeah, yet it's it a just, completely it, entirely a uh, a framework in our minds yeah yeah it, and it's a hamster wheel yeah, you know, that, 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 that really just generates energy for other people. But, but, but yeah. it still is so embedded that it's hard to break out of that. You know, it's, 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 I've definitely been like, oh, I didn't get enough done. I should have the whole next two records written. It's like, exactly. What? My, my wife's good with this. She's like, you have two 
boys we can't talk you know <laughs> so like, you gotta chill man like most people you know whatever so so yeah i'm with you man i i think it's hard to know what that balance should be and and the good thing about it is like we have to lean into the now because we really have no no clue what's going to be you know next you know like we have no idea yeah. and so you, you have to figure out at least how to get some joy out of each day and how to get some productivity out of each day. Oh yeah. I think that's incredible advice. I think it's a great spot to, to wrap it up too. Now, is there anything else you want everybody to know? No, just, I mean, all my social media stuff is, is easy to find. It's just Dave Haas or Haas Dave, some iteration of that. But if you Google my name, H A U S E, you can find what, what, whatever you might like, whether you like Facebook or Instagram or whatever the hell, but, no, I don't have anything quite yet to promote other than there is new music coming in October, so I'm super amped. There'll be like a teaser. You know, the first couple songs will come out probably awesome. in, a, in a month or so. So, Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I love that that excitement leading up to the point that like you have it. You know, can't wait for it to come out. I'm pumped, so man. Stoked, I'm pumped. And hopefully you, I can take this energy and record the next thing, you know, because like, and, and like dealing with the limited tools I have here, and, and the knowledge I'm acquiring, like, I'll just record the next thing, you know, and see what happens. Hell yeah. I love that. I love that so fucking much. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, man. But uh, thank you so much for coming on, dude. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. I'm a huge fan and, and love you guys. I mean, just so pumped on, on how everything is shook out for you guys. And, and it was, I was pumped to see the email come in and, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Hell yeah. Thanks, Dave. Man, a huge thanks to Dave for coming on and doing the podcast with me. That was so fucking fun. I'm so glad we got to have that conversation. Uh, there are links to his socials in the show notes. Check it out. Follow him up. He said he's got some music coming out in October, which is extremely exciting. If you want to reach me, hit me up at tom at futurefriday.net, and I'll get back to you. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. This is Krista Makes. 
guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.